What's it going to take for you to make the biggest, most courageous decision of your life? I think Becca Chamberlain is going to help us figure it out here on episode 62 of the No Boring Stories podcast. Let's get into it. Welcome to the No Boring Stories podcast. You know that you can use storytelling to captivate your audience, clarify your message, and grow your business and impact like never before. That's why I'm here. Each episode bringing you transformative stories, expert storytellers, and my signature storytelling tools all to help you tell a better story. Because there's no such thing as boring stories, just boring storytellers. I'm your host, Alex Street, and I love a good war movie. Oof. Saving Private Ryan, Inglorious Bastards, 1917, bring it on. Today on the show, we talk a little bit about war and history with Becca Chamberlain, who takes her name from a war hero. There is a story in here that you are not going to want to miss. The best part of this is Becca said, you know, is there anything that you want to avoid discussing on this recording? And she said, no, which is surprising to me because there is a lot to dive into here. And she brings us in. Hers is a story of resilience, which is no surprise considering she is a resilience coach, sharing tools that she has developed through her own life journey to help you harness your inner resilience and overcome life's obstacles with confidence and courage. You will hear these words, resilience, confidence, courage, ownership. They show up all the way throughout this interview. And so if you are in a place where you are looking for some kind of inspiration, you need some of these words, then you're going to love this open, honest, vulnerable conversation with my friend, Becca Chamberlain. Enjoy. Becca, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you? Yeah, I'm fantastic. You know, so, so few people actually ask that, you know, it's just really? you bounce it right back. Look at that. <laughs> Fabulous. Well, I really appreciate you having me. <laughs> it's, uh, this is going to be uh, a, a joy, I'm sure, um, <laughs> to get to know you and why you do what you do. And, you know, I know a little bit about your story at this point, really kind of surface level. And it's mm -hmm. the kind of surface level that you go, holy crap at so um yeah we're gonna go into it but first i asked you just before we came on what's one of your favorite stories and you said what my one of my favorite stories is the end of the battle of gettysburg and how it goes is the union soldiers were at the top of a hill in gettysburg and they had been fighting all day against the confederates General, General Chamberlain was guiding was guiding um, these soldiers, and they were out of ammunition. Most of their soldiers had been killed. They literally had a handful of soldiers left, and they realized the Confederates were charging up the hill again, and they should have retreated. That was the only logical move for them to make. But this the seal, but the whole battle of Gettysburg, um, General Chamberlain told his men to fix their bayonets and to charge. And they charged with a handful of people, no ammunition, and they won the Battle of Gettysburg because the Confederates retreated at that point and felt that they had gotten way more soldiers and there was no way they could win. And that propelled the history of our nation because a teacher 
from Virginia, volunteered in the Union Army, and had the courage to charge at just the moment he needed to and lead his men into victory. And if you want to know why that's my favorite story. <laughs> is it? Is there a relation to General Chamberlain? There, there's no relation okay. to General Chamberlain. But I have always admired his courage and how he changed the world with one decision. And there was a season in my life where I had the chance to change my name. And I did. I changed hmm. it to Chamberlain because that's I, the kind just, of legacy I want to leave. You just picked. Oh, that's so fun. <laughs> just you could have picked anything. Mm-hmm. You could have picked like Maximus. Yeah. <laughs> you could have picked like banana. <laughs> mm-hmm. Of course you wouldn't pick those ones because those are ridiculous, Alex. You picked Chamberlain <laughs> because it had meaning. I just <laughs> yeah. never heard somebody have that opportunity and like you could yeah. pick. I know, I right? I pick. Goodness. Wow. The clean slate. Wow. Okay. So now there is a relation. Mm-hmm. You're going to say, sure. Yeah. yeah. He's my homeboy. Um, yep. One decision. It's so mm-hmm. interesting to think of that, that moment. Mm-hmm. And this is a situation we're up against where we have the advantage on the, mm-hmm. like, as far as the footing goes, we're on the hill, mm-hmm. but we don't have numbers. Yeah. What kind of courage does that require of right? somebody to, to make a decision to yeah. say, well, we might as well try. Mm-hmm. And we're going to try with time. everything that we have. And then also the people, like it's the conviction as well, right? It's the, yeah. the conviction of the people running to yep. say, here I go. Yeah. To sound I like know. 30 men when you're only three, right? It's, yeah. How, it's insane. But. I don't know how they did it. <sighs> Well, that's interesting because I don't think that I've ever heard in in the many episodes of the podcast that exists at this point, right? Usually we go to something like it's someone's favorite childhood storybook or it's their favorite movie or it's their favorite book and uh, for you to come out with this, ah, this is like, it's history. Mm-hmm. This is what it is. Why does, like, are you, a, are you like a history buff? Borderline. I always... It always history inspires me. You can go back and learn from situations that happened long before you were here and figure out a solution for the situation that you're in. And it makes it just it lends a perspective that nothing else lends to us. It, it makes the problem seem so much smaller. This is what's fascinating to me is that there's no difference between or I mean, tell me the difference between the story of Gettysburg that you just told me and let's say uh, I can't think of now a fictional war movie because they're all mostly based off of some sort of history but uh, you know a fictional story of a war hero doing that and they're both Mm -hmm. going to inspire and move move Mm -hmm. us what is it about the fact that this one actually happened that sparks your interest? What it is, is I've always been inspired by other people's stories because if General Chamberlain could have that courage in that moment, why can't I? So it's always for me, when there's a realness to it, it lends to me 
the courage I need to make the next best move or the inspiration I need or the hope that I need. It's mm -hmm. no longer just a story. It's reality and it can be mine and it can be yours. Ooh, something just triggered when you said just a story for me. <laughs> it's like, what do you mean just a story? What do you, what do you mean? Because Ooh, yeah. the power... You're right. I totally hear that, right? There's something about it, but I, I, I also feel like there's a different connection happening there that is really interesting for mm -hmm. you to specifically be drawn to something that is rooted in reality. This actually happened. You know, this, this was mm -hmm. a moment in our mm -hmm. society where a human, just like me, was faced with adversity, just like me, and made a choice that is now written about and taught about centuries mm -hmm. later. Mm -hmm. And you are attached to that. And I go, yeah, that's great. And also I find the same connection from Harry Potter. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like that's right. That's so it's so like, interesting. When, when you hear, and I see, I see myself in that character. And I think if, mm -hmm. if he can do it, do I really put the same weight on the fictional characters that I've fallen in love with and have been moved by and constantly inspired by throughout my life? Frodo, mm -hmm. Luke, you know, anybody. Mm -hmm. As much as a, a figure in history, whether it be at the last decade or mm -hmm. 200 years or 2,000 years. So do you? <laughs> I ask the questions here. <laughs> um, I think I just lean more towards it. I don't, yeah. I don't, I don't know if it's a weight thing. I just, I I'm far more interested in the fact that, that this world was created, like that somebody could create mm -hmm. a world, you know, call it the wizarding world of Harry Potter or mm -hmm. middle earth. That's fascinating to me that somebody made this mm -hmm. up and, and that the stories they're telling are inspired by their examples that they saw as much as that. I don't know. Yeah. You, you then look at this people who can retell history, I think are mm -hmm. incredibly gifted. You look at, you know, Lin-Manuel Miranda and Hamilton, like that, that draws us in. Why? Because he's telling a story of, of real mm -hmm. events in a kind of fictional way mm -hmm. that makes us go, Whoa, well, I just sort of took this on, <laughs> on my own direction here. So let's go in to see, you know, wh why do you need courage so much in your life? And I think the way that we will unpack that is to hear your story, Becca, and, and to really understand who you are, and what you do now mm -hmm. and, yeah. and why you do it. So let's go there. Let's start here. What do you do? And what's the impact that you're seeing it make or hoping to see it make? I am a resilience coach and mm -hmm. the impact that I see it make and, and hope to continue to see it make and grow is helping people go from feeling stuck or in the middle of a diff difficult situation or wanting to get up to experiencing the freedom and the purpose that they're here to live this life in. And why I do that is because resilience is extremely important to me and a lesson that I learned sort of the hard way. I grew up in a religious cult. Okay, hold on. Whoa. <laughs> Let's stop right there. <laughs> Teaser. <laughs> um, this is great. We'll go there because I want to I want to direct us through the story a little bit. But okay. I love this yeah. piece about resilience coach, maybe not something mm -hmm. that a lot of people hear and mm -hmm. helping people go from stuck to feeling, you know, the freedom 
of their life mm-hmm. that they know is possible. Mm-hmm. And you talked earlier about this, this word courage as well as the, having mm-hmm. the courage to make those decisions. So I think all of that's yep. going to come up and I'm, I'm excited to see mm-hmm. where and why those, those are highlighted. Yeah. How does that work? It's, it's just conversations with people. You're, you you get into their story, you help them make the decisions. Like, is it, is it more about making peace with your life or setting goals for the future? How does one develop resilience? Oh, well, one develops resilience by, for one, it's a, it's a decision. It's a decision to either blame circumstances or people or something outside of yourself for the life that you're living Mm. or choosing to take ownership of the circumstances and make it into what you want your life to be. And resilience sounds like this big old warrior word and this massive decision and, you know, these huge life-changing events that you need to, you know, make, but it's really about the small actions that we take every day. It's about how self-aware we are and how in tune Mm. we are with ourselves, with our gifts, with our beliefs, with our priorities. It's about choosing mindfulness over reacting every single day. It's about self-care. And I'm not talking about bubble baths and, you know, all of the hype that we see, but truly taking care of yourself, whether that's drinking enough water, getting enough sleep, like showing yourself how much value that whatever value you place on it and allow that to continue to increase. It's about building really strong relationships and it doesn't have to be 10,000 relationships. It's one or two good positive relationships in your life. And all of that leads you to confidence and finding your purpose. And when you have those things in place and you have little guideposts every day that are helping you stay in that space and continue Mm -hmm. to grow in that, you can live out your purpose. And that's what keeps you going. It's about bending without breaking, you know, being able to handle more adversity than the next person or than you could a year ago. You know, there's situations in our lives that for me personally, and almost everybody in the universe that we can't change. There are things outside of our control and that can either cripple us or we can choose to allow that thing to stay there and grow to be bigger and bigger and bigger to handle it even better. And that's what resilience is. And that's what I, what I help my clients do is build that. So interesting that the word resilience to me, it, it, again, kind of going visually, it almost comes down to a moment. I feel like, Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. it's this idea of getting back up it's the it's the army that does that says we're not mm-hmm. we're not going that way we're running toward the fight like we're not mm-hmm. gonna say oh no we don't have enough people we're going like and it's this moment of of your resilient you 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 mm-hmm. decide to try again to go again and what you're talking about is a it's a it's a moment that sounds like it's a moment that happens many times yeah to build up this muscle mm-hmm. this this ability to mm-hmm. be resilient. Yes, absolutely. Ah, okay. We'll always link it back to running or, you know, any kind of physical exercise. You don't just wake up one day and decide, yeah, I'm going to run on a, run a marathon or I'm going to take the world on my shoulders, right? You have to start somewhere. And it's about the consistency and the little improvements and the little things that you can do day in and day out to achieve the goal at the end of it, which is to mm-hmm. be able to get through hard times, to be able to not react, to be able to find that glimmer of hope when you need it and keep going. Are you a runner? Yes. Yeah. Like, and have you done a marathon? 
Yeah, I've done three or four. Oh, come on. Like, what is that actually? At what point in the marathon do you feel like quitting the most? Mm, mile 18 every time. <laughs> <laughs> For real? Like, it's, like For real. It's, yeah. <laughs> For real. Yeah. <laughs> That's when it starts to hurt. For for how long? Like for that mile? You're like, for here it is for eight minutes. This is going to be pain. And then all of a sudden it shifts. It's all about how long you decide. It's because it's your brain is so powerful. It's all about what you focus on. Like if you want to think about the pain, you could let it hurt from mile 18 to mile 26. But if you choose to push through the wall and the mental block, you rise above it and you don't notice it anymore. And I think that's why I love running because it's such a picture for our lives. You know, whatever the struggle is that we're head on facing, trying to work through, Uh you can choose to rise above it and you can choose to grow beyond that circumstance and find the tools you need to deal with it every single day and to get past it or through it or over it or live with it. Sometimes Uh circumstances aren't changeable. And the the running has taught me that. And we're extremely powerful. We're the only ones that stand in our way to not have these gifts in our lives. So even in that, again, we I know we're going to get into your story, but I love looking at this and hearing your perspective on this because even when you're in that, you're at mile 18, you're like, yeah, but just Mm -hmm. choose choose to rise above it. What kind Mm -hmm. of like, get as specific as you can, what kind of thoughts go through your head either way. Like there's a thought of like, this sucks. This is Mm -hmm. pain. My -hmm. legs are sore. I'm not sure I can do this. It hurts to breathe. Mm -hmm. Any of those negative thoughts, but then what is the, and then Mm -hmm. what's the other side? Like, how do you just choose to Mm -hmm. overcome those? What kind of thoughts replace them? The thoughts that replace them are always the vision of, of where you're going. Right. And I, I think that's true in life and that's true in races as well. Um, the negative thoughts are always, can I do this? It's always self-doubt for me. Am I really capable of this? Did I really train hard enough? Did, like, am I really going to make it? And it's just self-sabotaging, um, which is, I don't know, something that, that I deal with in real life, not just yeah. in running, but yeah. I combat that with, I can always see and feel what it's going to be like at the finish line. And the beautiful thing about, about marathons is you're never the same person at the end as when you started never, it's such a great way to hijack your growth because you can't, you can't cross the finish line as the person who started it, because there's so much that happens in that 26 miles in between. So it's always that vision of the finish line Mm. is what keeps me going and what I know it'll feel like. And that I'm capable of that. If I choose to be, it's up to me. That's, that's critical right there. Everything. Mm -hmm. So you're like, you're in this place of struggle and self-sabotage asking that key question. Can I Mm -hmm. really do this? Um, You know, that they, they say in storytelling, there's the dramatic question, which is whatever character goes through, which is asking the question, who am I? And going through this experience, trying to define that you're saying, and at the beginning, Mm -hmm. there are one person at the end of simply this mm-hmm. race, give them four hours and watch mm-hmm. how they change. Asking that question all the way through, who am I? Who am I? I can do this. I can do this. I can do mm-hmm. this. Can I do this? Mm-hmm. And you're like, well, the only, re- the only way that I can do this, overcome this pain is to see the goal and move towards it. 
Mm-hmm. And you said you've always had that ability to see the vision, see mm-hmm. what's ahead. Mm-hmm. Okay, now let's go back. Now, you dropped this this bomb earlier. You said, I grew up in a religious cult. Okay, so so here you are. So well, that's the context for mm-hmm. also this idea, though, of resilience, of courage, of freedom, mm-hmm. of vision. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to know how that plays out within that context. How does that, where does that first begin to show up? This idea of resilience, of courage, where does that first begin to show up for you? Uh, within that environment take us there going back to my childhood I just always had a knowing that I was here for a reason and that's the best way I can describe it it was never this grand plan of exactly what it would be it was just knowing I had a purpose and something great that I needed to fulfill with my life were people telling you that or like like instilling that in you Mm mm-mm No, what was instilled in me was, you know, you're a woman and this is the role of a woman inside of this belief system that you're required to be a part of, you know, Mm -hmm. you clean the house and you make the food and until the day we find a husband for you, you stay home and you're a helpmate to your father, you pay the bills, you you like do all of the household things and you do never put your yourself under the authority of another man, you will never have a job, you'll never be out in the world alone without the protection of your father, even driving somewhere, going anywhere, staying anywhere, like you will be under that protection at all times. And you know, I remember clearly during, especially my teenage years, obviously our belief system included the Bible. And there's a proverb that says, and it's very true, without a vision, the people perish. Mm. And I remember so many times telling my dad, like, what's the point of all of this? You know, you want me to be happy and you want me to be content, but there's no end game. Like, what's the point? I'm not going to be happy or content because I don't have a purpose. I don't have a vision. When you show up like that and you are, yeah, as a teenager, I mean, teenagers are asking questions. They're pushing boundaries Mm -hmm. all the time in a, in a, you know, in any normal Mm -hmm. environment, but in that space, you start to push boundaries like that, push questions. Is it shut down immediately Mm -hmm. or was it, is there ever the ability to, to explore that with other people or are you left on your own to say like, okay, well, what's, what am I here for? What is my meaning? What is my vision? Mm -hmm. No outside counsel or resources or mentorship was not available. Mm -hmm. And that was all part of, part of the game, part of the cult. It was all about, you know, having complete control of what was put into our minds. And um, where that took me was down a really dark road. I was extremely unhappy. I had an older brother and we were really close and then he was a man. So he moved off and went to school when he was 18 and I was only 18 months younger than him. And I was left alone with nobody. And it manifested for me in making all of my dreams into fears so that it didn't hurt so bad to not be able to live them out. And I also didn't even know what an eating disorder was, but definitely leaned into controlling my my food intake because that was something that I could control and that somehow felt good and satisfying tell me okay you said something so good there I turned my dreams into fears Mm -hmm. do you talk about that a lot 
I have been, yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you need to talk about that here a lot more. Yeah. What what is that me you you are at this place mm-hmm. of aloneness mm-hmm. and that and the only way to to feel okay about it is to turn your dreams into fears mm-hmm. again get as you know specific yeah. I, I idea yeah. focused as possible what does that mean yeah so what that means is the pain of all of those dreams not even feeling as if they were possible in any way, feeling as if they were all stripped away from me. The pain of that was unbearable to the point that I chose to be fearful of the things that I dreamed of because somehow that was easier to handle. What did, what kind of things were you dreaming? Dreaming of going to college, dreaming Mm -hmm. of, of traveling the world, dreaming of nursing and speaking and making a difference. It was always surrounded by making a positive difference in the world. Do you, and at that point, again, growing up in this environment where everything's fed to you, everything's told mm-hmm. to you, you're told how to think, what to do, what to wear, mm-hmm. everything, who you're mm-hmm. going to be and what your future is going to be like. That ability to see beyond that box or that bubble to see that vision and even have those dreams. Mm-hmm. Um, that that to me seems like a rebellion in its own in its own right yeah like if that again you say as a as early as you can remember you knew that you were here to make a difference to do something else mm-hmm. again within the environment that is a rebellious mm-hmm. idea in mm-hmm. in any other setting that that's like yeah girl like yeah, come on yes mm-hmm. let's go girl power mm-hmm. like we're you're gonna rule the world mm-hmm. you got you got this baby like mm-hmm. Just think of talking to my own kids like that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they say something yeah. like that. I'm like, let's go. Uh, yeah. But in but in your environment, again, just no, there's no room for it. No, absolutely none. So, when you think of making a positive impact, again, what like specifically? Do you remember what mm-hmm. that might have looked like? Positivity. One of yeah. Well, one of the biggest biggest aspirations I had at the time was to get my nursing degree and travel around the world and help children, children that didn't have medical, the medical help that they needed. So again, right, we're just getting this, this massive picture of how big your heart is, how it's bigger than the container you're in. Yeah. And then I kept trying to shrink it down. So then inside of that container, it was, well, I'm really good at playing the piano which I, I was at that time, very good at it. And I could maybe find a husband who led a church and, you know, contribute music that could move people and make a difference. And it would be kosher and okay. And something that I could do now I can't picture (laughs) that. So, right. So that that's these, these dreams that you have of going around the world, getting your nursing impacting mm-hmm. the world, speaking, mm-hmm. being on a stage, whatever, a lot mm-hmm. like having this massive, massive impact, you turn into fears and those fears then look like, oh, that's like, yeah, I couldn't do that. I can't do that. That's too far for me. What does fear sound like? Yeah. The fears look like 
legitimate fears like, oh, instead of finding joy in traveling, I'm going to be fearful of stepping on an airplane or stepping anything outside of my comfort zone because, because it's not available to me. So, so the actual steps I would need to take to achieve these dreams, I turned into crippling fears. You know, I can't go drive to college by myself. So I'm going to be fearful of driving. Um, I can't go to college. So I'm going to start questioning my academic ability, all of those things like legitimate fears of living. High achieving entrepreneurs and public speakers. This is for you. You know that you've got something important to do here, but why in the world are you doing it? And even if you know why, how do you talk about that? That's why I'm so excited to invite you into my one-on-one story coaching process. Through this three-month journey, we will go into intensive sessions to uncover your story, turn it into a message that matters, and then create content specific to your context and business today. I have worked with dozens of clients that have experienced major transformation through this experience, and more importantly, have discovered the transformation that they have already gone through in their life. Because when you know how you have transformed, you can communicate that so your audience knows how you can transform them too. Look, 96% of consumers buy based on emotions. And if storytelling is our greatest tool to spark an emotional response, then you better learn to tell your story today. And one-on-one story coaching is the best way to do it. Go to alexstreet.ca to get the conversation started or reach out to me on Instagram at streetsays and say, I'm interested in one-on-one. Let's talk. This, I think you just tapped into something that so many people are going to say, you're, you're kidding, you too? Like, or, or you just defined something for somebody listening Mm -hmm. that they have been unable to put their finger on Mm -hmm. this thing that you are so frustrated with why you cannot seem to get to this place or do this thing might just be because you have created a fear out Mm -hmm. of your dream, out of what is Mm -hmm. meant to be a dream. Yes. Absolutely. So how do you, I mean, maybe you take us through this, but as you keep going, I want to know how that shifts, how that changes and, and how does that come back to the place where now you are able to see, wow, that is a dream. And then, and I'm stepping into this dream now. So, you know, from there you are 17 years old, turning dreams into fears to now something happens between that. Yeah. Bring us on the ride. All right. So I've been a dark place, just like we talked about and turned all of my dreams into fears and surrendered myself to what was, um, to the future that was meant for me. And at that time I chose surrender because I had bought into the dialogue that I needed to live inside of the walls of the box built around me in order to please God and in order to not be disowned by my family. And values are have always been important to me. I will sacrifice anything for what I believe in. And that's still true to this day. My mm-hmm. beliefs have shifted, but it's still true to this day. 
And so when I was 19 years old, um, still extremely unhappy and, and just dissatisfied with life, um, my dad brought someone uh, for me to marry. And it was, it was arranged. It was sort of posed as, do you want to marry this person or not? But we did go ahead with the courtship, which was mm -hmm. three months long. Um, we got engaged and we got married when I was 20 years old. Um, and were you like living on like a, like a commune or something, or was it at you know that, I mean? like at that time when we got married, we were not from okay. the ages of about 10 to 16, we were. Okay. So, so go ahead. Okay. No, that's it. I, yeah. I just, okay. I was just trying to picture the, the setting and the, the, yep. again, the environment and whatnot. So, okay. So you're, mm -hmm. you get set up with this arranged marriage at, at 20. Yep. Mm -hmm. We got married um, and he was a dairy farmer. So I moved hours away from my family um, to the middle of nowhere on a dairy farm and we lived our lives. We had three kids. Besides the three kids, I don't have anything positive to say or to share. It was uh -huh. very, very difficult. And it was a season that I gave away every ounce of dignity I've ever had in every facet of my life. It was all about working to keep things going. All of that was on my shoulders. And living inside of the box of what somebody else needed or wanted every moment of every single day on top of raising a family. That person being your husband. Yeah. Of course, that's how you're living, of course, because that's what you've been taught. Yeah. Yeah. At the risk of, of sounding naive or, or, you know, asking a stupid question, not that there is such a thing. Mm -hmm. um, growing up thinking, I, I want to do more. Were mm -hmm. you, were you receiving, you know, those sorts of teachings of like, yeah, well, you're, you're going to grow up and you're going to, you're going to get married and you're going to serve your husband mm -hmm. and yeah. your family. Yeah. Where you were like, were you receiving that? Were you believing it? Were you like that becomes oh. part or were you resisting it? Mm -hmm. I would say it never felt right. Yeah, so okay. I did, I always resisted it, but I felt like that I believed that that part of me that didn't feel like it was right, right? I didn't have any trust in myself. So that must have been the devil or something outside of me that was making me question something mm. that was wrong. So, you know, here I am with three children in the most miserable state I've ever been in, begging God to give me contentment because there's something wrong with me, right? I should be content. I should be all of these things inside of a situation that no human should ever have to live inside of and I'm begging for somehow acceptance yeah. to be okay with it acceptance uh was there anybody did was there anybody that you could trust that you could speak to anybody again no, that wasn't possible when you were growing up but at this point you know there's nobody that you can kind of say is this right <laughs> No, uh, towards the end, there started to be a few people in my life that I started to run things past. And that's really what sparked for me like that. Oh, this really isn't right. This isn't mm -hmm. right. And, and two, I just started doing my own research and Googling things to figure out, you know, like, well, I've heard this concept of cycles of abuse. I wonder what that really is. And then when I 
read about it. I just saw my life like flash through in front of me. And I was like, oh, that's why, that's why I don't, you know, that's, that's that feeling inside of me is because this isn't right. How old were you at around that point? 28. So all these years, like this is, this, this, what's, I don't know, shocking maybe, but it's not yeah. shocking. It's just, this is it is you, you're yeah. 28 years old and coming to this point And now I'm mm -hmm. going to Google, like, mm -hmm. is this okay? Mm -hmm. um, you can just imagine, again, I'm getting this real visual of like you sitting, sitting at the computer and yeah, you say, yep. Yep. I, take us into that moment where you were alone, where it was like, kids are asleep. He's mm -hmm. out. I'm on the yep. computer. Like, Yep. reading until yep. I, so, you can as much as you can. Yeah. So the, the moment came in bits and pieces. Um, we ended up, my ex-husband and I met, uh, met another gentleman who had been part of the cult my family was in. And it was interesting because our paths had crossed as children, but we didn't realize it at the time hmm. until we met as adults. And we went out together for dinner a couple of times as couples. And he just said enough things because he was no longer living inside of any of it. Um, that really sparked a lot of questions inside of my head. And so then that's when I started Googling and, and really researching what was happening in my own life to figure out what I wanted to do next. Which then leads to, I mean, then you're faced with it. This is the, Chamberlain moment. Look, this is the situation right? I'm in. It is not mm -hmm. good. Yeah. I know that. Yep. So I was faced with reality of what was going on was wrong. And it wasn't no longer my opinion, right? What I felt inside of me, I had proof outside of me because I didn't trust myself at that time. So I decided, well, it's still the right thing to stay married. You know, getting divorced is still to me wasn't an option at that time. So I asked if we could start marital counseling. And that just made something that was horrible into triple horrible. It just, mm. it went from, it was like a train into hell. Um, and I guess for me, it just confirmed that there was nothing more I could do to salvage the relationship and it was time to move on. Also what I just heard there, like, I mean, this, I don't, right. I don't know the situation. We don't know the mm -hmm. details of what that looked like in the home mm -hmm. and, and any of that, but the, what it sounds like to me is there's this, like the, it's a train right into hell is a description of what happened or how you felt as you had no agency of your own. You had no identity of your own. Mm -hmm. The lack mm -hmm. of agency, the lack of independence mm -hmm. is such a dis despairing place to be. We have to find a way out of that. Mm -hmm. you, you can't survive in that. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. And so <laughs> for you to make that decision to say, I'm going to charge, mm -hmm. you know, here we go how do you possibly do that when this is the only life that you've known and, and what's going to catch me? Is there a net that's going to catch you? Like, how, how do mm -hmm. you make a call like that? 
I think when you get into those moments that you have to make a decision and there's no uncertainty either way, what happens inside of us is the discomfort of staying stuck with how you said it, no agency, you know, whatever the situation is, whether it's a job or relationship, a lifestyle, the pain of staying stuck outgrows the fear of what's going to catch you. And there's a point that that pendulum swings and there's no going back. There just isn't. And that's what drove me. I couldn't, I couldn't do it anymore. And what, what broke the camel's back was listening to me talk to my girls and teach them passionately what I believed for them. You can go and do and be anything yeah. that you want to be. You deserve to feel loved and to belong. You know, you, you should be teaching them how to be confident and then looking at the mirror and saying, you fucking hypocrite. Yeah. You're a hypocrite. And how do you ever expect to live, leave, to lead a new generation of children if you can't make the decisions you need to make for yourself? Are you going to break the cycle or are you going to let it continue? The pain of being stuck became greater than the fear. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering if we can bring it back to even this idea of dreams mm -hmm. and fears. And was it, act, yeah. was it pain or was it? was it these dreams were showing mm -hmm. up again? Yeah. You know, that again, like in a conversation, like that's, that's what I just heard there is when you're talking to your mm -hmm. girls, you're telling them something that mm -hmm. you're realizing this is what I used to believe about myself mm -hmm. or like this has shown up yeah. in my life time and time again. Mm -hmm. Where did that go? You hypocrite. You're mm -hmm. not living the life that not only you're telling them to live, but you knew that you could live. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's almost like this, like a reawakening. Yeah. I think it's discomfort of staying stuck. I don't think yeah. it is a pain. You're right. It's like this discomfort of playing small. It's mm. the discomfort of really letting yourself down, letting yourself down. It doesn't have anything to do with anybody around you. Yep. Yep. I mean, which is amplified when you've got people that mm -hmm. you're investing into kids mm -hmm. that now it's not just you, but it's, you know, yeah. that you are a role model for them. So how do you yeah. show up and, and yeah, I'm letting yeah. myself down, but mm -hmm. yeah, this is for them. Oh, this is good stuff. So you, I mean, how, how far removed from that are we now? It's a distant memory. It's like, I'm so far removed that when I look back on it, it's like, it's an, it's an outside view of what actually happened. Yeah. So how do you start? It, did it feel like building something completely new, building a life completely new as, as you yeah. leave, as you, as you, you know, is there a declaration? Yeah. Is there a, an announcement made to everybody? Is there a company email that says <laughs> Becca's out? Like what's. <laughs> it was the getting out process was the hardest thing I've ever been. There were many, many, many threats in the process of us dividing our home. Um, to the point that when I left, I lied about where I was going and just never went back when the kids and I left. Um, and so that's, that season was really difficult. There are many beautiful lessons through it, but it, it did not feel like a declaration of a new life. It yeah. felt like a death sentence, to be quite honest. 
um, when we went into the courtroom for our divorce hearing. Every, when I walked into that room, every one of our close friends was sitting there with him. And that wasn't something that I expected to lose my support system in the midst of the most difficult time of my life. Yeah. So looking back, it really taught me so much about boundaries and about having healthy relationships. And it opened up space for some really great people to walk into my life and to build a really beautiful future. Um, and I think the most pivotal moment in, in that time for me was waking up one day and guys, there's such a grieving process that comes with divorce, whether it was a dramatic one, like mm -hmm. my story tends to be, or one where it was just a decision that was best for both of you. But there was a whole year that it was just really sad. I, I had dreamt of a family and I wanted that to be part of my future. And I didn't see how that could ever be. Now we were so broken and so on different pages and it just felt like conflict after conflict and everything I put my fingers on, it felt like was undermined and destroyed. And I really got into a pretty sad mindset of a lot of anger and blame. And I really felt like a victim of my past and I didn't see any way that I could get out of it. You know, the ways that I showed up didn't work in the world world. I couldn't show up in with the self-protecting habits that I had and have the life and build the life that I wanted to have. And one day I was painting, painting the hallway of my home and listening to a book. And it was that light bulb moment of mm. taking ownership for what I wanted to build for my future. And that changed the trajectory of our lives into something now that I dreamt of as a little girl. The life I have now is what I dreamt of. And I'm so grateful for that. And resilience is what has gotten me here. What book were you listening to? It was called Extreme Ownership. Aha, there we go. So of course the word ownership comes out of and that. It and it was another military story. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I, the way that you just summarized that really felt like the close, the last chapter in a book uh, and, mm -hmm. and also a to be continued of the, the life that I have now is the one that I dreamed of when I was a little girl, like, you know, mm -hmm. what, 30 minutes ago, we began this story with where does yeah. this idea mm -hmm. show up? first in your life you're mm -hmm. like I always knew even as mm -hmm. a kid that I was meant for mm -hmm. something more and here you are now saying yeah that's that loop is closing mm -hmm. and opening at the same time yes. to something new absolutely yes I there's a few words that came up for me as well around this story of like you know the from and to you said from stuck to freedom at first I I heard this like almost um like resistance Again, whether it's from you or it's towards you, like because you were like resisting the system to a degree, but then you were told to, no, 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 you can't do that. So there's like this, you are a force that is constantly meeting resistance, trying to be contained for yeah. so much of your life. And yeah. then you get to this point where you realize, you know, thanks, thanks to a Google word search, as yeah. it were, yeah, um, this isn't right. Mm -hmm. And I don't need you know, the good news is it doesn't have to be this way. That's the good news for any of us stuck in any situation Absolutely. is it, it doesn't have to be like this. And so then, and then you're like, well, 
the worst hadn't even come yet. The worst was still to come. As I now, again, resist this even more, I push back and I push back and I push back and they it comes harder and harder and harder. Mm-hmm. And I have to choose something greater. I have to choose. And this idea of ownership, I think was so neat mm-hmm. too. I have to, I have to own, take ownership mm-hmm. of who mm-hmm. I am, of my life, of my goals, of my dreams. Mm-hmm. Nobody's going to make them happen for me, but I have mm-hmm. the ability now to make them happen. And look, yeah. I actually made it happen. Here we are 2022 and I'm living my dream life. So like I hear this story, again, pick whatever words you want, but I I hear this story almost uh, from resistance to ownership. Yeah. And through it required courage, required consistency, required identity formation Mm -hmm. in an environment that simply wasn't offering it for you. Yeah. Yeah. Does that sound authentic? Yeah. That sound like you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love how the environment that simply wasn't wasn't offering it for you. That's good. Because I think that's the invitation now, right? Is for anybody listening yeah. to this that finds themselves yeah. in a similar situation of yeah. maybe not to that extreme, but in mm-hmm. some way they feel like their dreams are being pushed back against and mm-hmm. nobody's helping them. Nobody's going to yep. do this for them. Yep. Um, to break them out of whatever they're in or help them drive forwards. There is this level of ownership that they are looking for, longing for, that they see and hear in your voice now, Becca. Yes. If they find themselves there and want to be here, what's the best way to start a conversation with you to explore what that looks like? Yes. The best way to start a conversation with me is find me on Instagram or Facebook. Um, and Instagram, I have a link to my website and just feel free to either shoot me a message there or shoot me a message through my website. And I would be honored to hear where you're at and see if I can help you Mm. see if you can help yourself. (laughs) Look at that. (laughs) I am so grateful for this, for you opening this up and, and sharing your vulnerable story with us, um, for, knowing that it's important that people will find themselves in it. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, as I said earlier, just to hear your heart through all of this and, and how it was, it's been there all along. And it's like, yeah. you're recognizing and realizing this calling and mm-hmm. the, the possibility here. It's not only encouraging and exhilarating to be a part of this on this end, but it's, it's truly an honor and a, and a privilege to, to have you on the show and to hear this story and be, you know, it feels like at the beginning of this journey with you. Yeah. yeah. And um, you. I'm just celebrating and I'm so excited for where you're go, going from here. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's been an absolute honor. Thanks for listening. This has been No Boring Stories. I am Alex Street and we are just getting started. I'd love to know what you thought of this conversation, so please feel free to reach out to me on my website, on Instagram, or in the Fearless Speakers Academy and share your thoughts. In the meantime, honor this conversation, go out in your life, and tell a better story today. We'll see you next time.